TheYeshiva.net. So in summation, what did we learn? What were the questions? And then we move on. Briefly, the summary is as follows. Even though our sages teach us, it says in Talmud Yerushalmi and Masech Hashanah, it says this in Medrash Rabbah Bereshis, it's in Toysvus in Rosh Hashanah, quoted in Toysvus, Tav Zayin, that Shemus HaChadashim Olu Biyadu Mibavil, the names of the months, Nisan, Iyer, Sivan, Tammuz, Menachemov, Elul, etc., Tishrei, etc., is an inheritance, is a gift that the Jewish people brought back from Babylonia. It comes from Babylonian culture. It comes from the Babylonian language. And therefore, essentially, it has Babylonian meanings. Nonetheless, we find that Chazal interpret the names of the months not only based on their Babylonian meaning, but based on their Hebrew meaning. Is it because the names of the months came from Babylonia, but the words, some of the words, are actually Hebrew words? The connection with the months came from Babylonia, but the words, some of the words, may actually be Hebrew words. At least the month of, because of means a father. Perhaps also one can say, as the Shalos says, these are from the words that got mixed into other languages from Hebrew, because originally Hebrew was the singular language, and then by the Der Haflaga, languages, cultures dispersed and scattered, but Hebrew words remained in those languages, and these are Hebrew words in Babylonia. In Babylonia. Another idea is, Torah adopted these words and embraced these words, and it became a Jewish thing, so therefore the Midrashim feel that it's completely correct to explain it in Hebrew. Based on all of this, the Sicha goes in to anal- analyze the meaning of the words Menachem of, which means the month in which one comforts the father. Menachem of, not of Menachem, which means the month when the father comforts, the father offers comfort. Menachem of, the month when the father is comforted. He explained that this is connected also to the Parshias, Matos and Masa, which are always read in the beginning of the month of Menachem Av, or the Shabbos preceding, blessing the month of Menachem Av. Because this point that a Jew appreciates the fact that the comfort that he or she is wishing on himself and on the Jewish people this month, Menachem Av, is not only solace for the Jew, for the child, but also and first and foremost and primarily solace and comfort for the father, Menachem Av, is emphasized in both Parshish Matas Masse as he goes through where the Parshish emphasized these points. The question that was raised in Siv Dalad was, how is it that this became the name of the month for all the Jewish people, and it's a Minig Yisrael, which Taisva says is Torahu, it's part of Torah, where you don't even mention the comfort for the child, you only mention the comfort for the father. So yes, there are tzaddikim that their entire life they think only about God and therefore when they think about gullus and comfort, it's only the gullus of the Shekhinah. 
You also have Jews that think about themselves, but they focus on their spiritual selves, their inner emotional selves, and therefore what bothers them by, about Gullus is their own spiritual Gullus, that the godliness inside of them is not fully revealed and manifested in their learning and in their mitzvahs, and especially, he says, in their davening. That's the major element of Gullus, the spiritual displacement, the spiritual alienation, the spiritual exile, the misalignment between the core of all of reality and the expressions of those realities. So therefore, they focus on Menachem of I want to comfort the Father inside of me, which is the the piece of me, my core, that is a piece of God, that's the Father in me, the part of the Father that is, so to speak, my core, my essence, because each of our souls is a fragment of God. That's what I want to comfort. But this name, Menachemov, is a name for every single Jew. And under all circumstances and all situations. And we all know that so much of the pain of life has to do with physical realities. Something missing in health or in sustenance or with children or with a person's own life. The oppression in exile, the tragedies in exile, the loss of life in exile all different forms of pain and suffering that is really about the person's existence in this world, things that we want, things that we that 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 we crave, that we long as 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 physical people, souls and bodies. And yet for all of Klaliusrof, for all the Jewish people, from the highest levels to the lowest levels, the name became Menachem of. In other words, that by every Jew, because this is the name of every Jew and it's the Torah name for every Jew, we're comforting the Father. And not even mentioning what would seem as the most important element for every Jew, and that is comfort a child. So in Hay, he goes in to discuss a similar question in a different subject, and that's tefillah davening. What is davening? The basic halach of davening, the Rambam, defines in the laws of tefillah what is davening. The mitzvah is that a person should identify the needs that he or she needs and ask Hashem, the creator and the leader of the world, to provide them with these needs. And if we go through the 18 blessings, today it's 19 blessings of Shemayna Esra, the first three are, we praise Hashem, the last three are basically, basically gratitude and requests for the community. But the the... The intermediary blessings, the 12 intermediary blessings, today it's 13 because one was added, Vilam al was added by Ram Gamliel of Yavna, as the Ramam explains in Ilchis Tefillah. We go through needs that people need, whether it's Rifa'enu health, Ubarechaleinu sustenance, Parnasa livelihood, money, or a person needs wisdom, a person wants to repent, a person needs emancipation from their distress. And in Shema Kaleinu Shemea one can ask for whatever they want. If you have a dentist appointment, or you have an appointment, an interview for a new job, if you're struggling with a mental issue, or with a physical issue, if you're struggling with health, if you're struggling with certain elements that are causing you stress and anxiety, if you're struggling, God forbid, with a child, if you're struggling, whatever struggle you have. And that's the mitzvah. The mitzvah is identify what you need, whatever those needs are. 
big needs, small needs. For some people, those needs seem maybe not so consequential and important. But if this is my need, there's a mitzvah. There's actually a mitzvah to daven, to turn to Hashem and ask Him, God, Father in heaven, please help me. That's the definition of tefillah on the most basic halachic level. Comes the Magad of Mizrich, the great Hasidic master, Rabbeinu Doiv Ber, the successor of the Baal Shem Tov, who passed away 1772, Yutas Kislev Tavkuf Gimel. Mizrich is a city in Ukraine. He's buried in uh, Anapoli, in, which is also in Ukraine, near the Rebbe of Anapoli. His student is there as well. We went on a trip a few years ago. We went to visit the tombstone of the Magad, the resting place of the Magad. Comes the holy Magad of Mizrich. And the Magad of Mizrich tells us that the Mishnah says in Brachas, chapter 5, the beginning, You don't get up to Davin only from a place of submission, from a place of surrender, a place of humility. shiflus. Rashi says, Says the Magad, there's a deeper meaning here. You only get up to Davin when you recognize the heaviness of the head. What's the head? The head represents Hashem. Reisha the Cholration, as he puts it. The head of all heads. They call it the Godhead. In other words, the source of everything. The head, the brain, is basically the central system that is the source for all the vitality and animation and all of the systems in the body. All of the incredible and intricate systems in the body are all governed and coordinated by the head, by the brain. That's called the Reish, Kaivad Reish. So that's really an allegory for the cosmos. There's the head of the cosmos, the brain of the cosmos, the consciousness, the intelligence, the source, the core of the entire universe. Hashem, the Shekhinah, the divine presence. You only get up to Davin when you can recognize the heaviness of the head. Meaning, don't Davin for yourself. Davin for the Shekhinah. Don't daven for things that you lack. Daven for that which is lacking in the divine presence. So what does this mean? The Magad wants us to change the text? God forbid, he says. Even if you're asking for your own needs, even if you're asking for your own needs, your mindset should be that it shouldn't be missing in God because the Neshama is a piece of Hashem and the soul is a limb from the Shekhinah. Every soul is another aspect, another dimension, another manifestation of the divine light. So if you're missing something, the Shekhinah is missing something. And that's what you should ask for. You should ask for, not my, that I should have it, that the Shekhinah should have it. Koivid Roish, ask for the heaviness, for the, for the pain. You know, when a, when a head is heavy, it's being pulled down, there's the pain, there's something missing. It's not, it's not erect, it's not in its full stature, it's not in its full health. That's what you should ask. Ask the Lubavitcher Rebbe the same question. I understand there are people that they themselves don't occupy space. A complete bittle. They are subsumed in the infinite. They are living in a, in a world, in a consciousness, where their own needs don't occupy space, so they don't feel their own void. Or at least that's not the primary experience. So what do they daven for? When they get up to daven, they daven for what the Shekhinah is missing. But the Rebbe says, davening is for every Jew. And for most Jews, my needs, my personal needs, or collective needs, my personal needs as an individual, my personal needs as a husband, as a father, every person, man, woman, child, 
my body, the elements of my body, the elements of my physical life are important. They're not just important, they're critical, they're vital. I feel the lack in my body, in my system, in my organism, in my mind, in my body. And it distresses me, it bothers me. Again, whatever that may be, something that's very, very tangible and concrete, something that's more psychological and emotional. And then there's a mitzvah to daven for Hashem, that's the mitzvah. That if you're feeling a longing, if you're feeling a chisar and a void, there's a mitzvah to daven to Hashem. Comes the magen and says, no, ain't don't get up to daven. Unless you're davening for koivad rosh, for Hashem, for the void in reish of the choresh. So, what are you telling every Jew who, who does experience himself as an, again, if you don't experience yourself, fine, I get that. Was the magen only talking to those few individuals? Was he asking that everyone should be in that place? Sivov, page 218. Wow. One way of explaining this is based on a famous halacha that the Baal HaTanya, the Alter Rebbe, brings in Shulchan Aruch in Chayshem Mishpat, Hilchis Niske Guvenefesh. And it's already brought before that in the Radvaz on a commentary on Rambam Hilchis Sanhedrin as he brings in footnotes 47 and 48 the view of the Rambam and the Radvaz and the Rachayim. And they basically all state a fascinating thing. That a person doesn't have a right to harm their bodies. Because my body doesn't belong to me. It actually belongs to Hashem. It's like Hashem gives me a deposit to hold and to take care of and to nurture. So if I'm doing something to help the body, it's like imagine you deposit an animal by me. You give me your puppy or you give me your sheep or you give me your cow. We have in Baba Metziah all the halachas of custodians, of a shamer. Even if I'm not taking any money from you, I'm a shamer chinam, I have responsibility. I'm not allowed to use the animal unless you gave me permission to borrow it and use it. It's not mine. I have to protect it. And even if you do give me permission to use it, like a borrower or a renter, I have to protect it. And I can't do with it whatever I want. That's theft. So the Alter Rebbe says in Shulchan Aruch that when a Jew harms a person, doesn't have a right to do anything to the body that is detrimental. Because it's not mine, it's actually God's. It's Kinyon HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's Hashem's Kinyon. So if, God forbid, a person has to go through a procedure, even though it's harmful for the body, with the incisions and the cutting, but it's in order to save a life, so it's for the benefit of the body. But just to do something that would harm the body is absolutely forbidden in halacha. Not just because it doesn't make sense, and not just because it's not healthy, and not just because you might regret it, but furthermore, it's, it's an act of theft. It's not yours. It belongs to Hashem.
It's Kinyana Shalakadish Baruchel. Rav Shlema Yosef Zevin was the editor of the Talmudic Encyclopedia. He was one of the Goinim of Yerushalayim. He passed away in 1978. So he has a sefer called uh, He has an essay called uh, Yeah, Rav Shlema Yosef Zevin. He's showing a picture. He has a brilliant essay called Shylak. Shylak in Halacha. You remember William Shakespeare's play, The Merchant of Venice. You remember The Merchant of Venice. In The Merchant of Venice, he has the Jew, Shylock, right? The money lender who lends money who is it to Antonio and he wants to be paid back. And of course, just paying back with interest, with ribbis. But then there's collateral. If, if the one who borrows the money does not pay Shylock, the Italian Jew, back on time, what does he do? A pound of flesh. You remember? A pound of flesh. And that's the play, Shylock. And Rav Shlomo Yosef Zevin asks a question. Would such a deal have any validity in halacha? And he goes back and forth and back and forth. And then his conclusion is, pound of flesh? It's not yours. It's like I would borrow money from you. I would borrow a million dollars from you. And I would put up Rav Aaron's house as collateral. You could put up your own house. You can't put up somebody else's house. I can't guarantee to you something that doesn't belong to me. So Rav Zevin says, the Alter Rebbe says, Ein la'adam al that pound of flesh doesn't belong to me to put it up as collateral. It belongs to Hashem. I don't have no rights on my body. It's not mine. It's not my body. It's Hashem's body. He entrusted it to me for 120 years, to nurture it, to take care of it, you hear it, to feed it, to guard it, to protect it to maximize its potentials and to use it in the most healthy and productive way. So the Rebbe says, according to this, if somebody has a want in the needs of the body, so there's something missing in the body, so it's a pain not only for the person, it's also painful for the owner of the body, for the one to whom the body belongs, it's his acquisition, which is Hashem. So he says it's not a contradiction. The fact that a person davens that Hashem should fulfill my physical, material, bodily needs. And then the Maggot comes and says that the mindset has to be that it, that Hashem, the Shechina, shouldn't be missing anything. Because he says what the Maggot is saying is that your mindset during davening, that even my physical, bodily needs should be fulfilled, is not because I am missing something. It's because Hashem's Kenyan is missing something. Because it's, it's Hashem's Kenyan. And this is the halacha. So when I'm davening for my body, the Magad is saying, don't focus on that it's yours, your needs. Focus on the fact that this belongs to Hashem. It's Hashem's need. Zayin, abadabir, isn't it? Maspik, but there's still something unsatisfactory here. Vile. Noisif lozevos from Hashanah Magad is mashmas menad vegendem koivit of the sudden nation, the choresh, unitin kinyane shalakadosh baruchu. First of all, the language of the Magad, it seems like he's talking about the Kaivit, that, that which is missing in the source of all sources, in the head of all heads, in the Shechina, not just in Kinyana Shalakadish Baruch in something that God owns. Number one. But the real thing is, Machangaret Kamapam, and the real problem is as follows. It's a much more fundamental question. 
But Shengeret came upon them. We spoke numerous times. As Vibal Nigla the Taito, Nista the Taito, and in Taito Achas. Beloshna Zoya. Nishmosa de Raisa and Gufa de Raisa. Kendach Nidzaina as his own Zain Bestida Zelaza. Ubinyanenu Kumtois Lechaira. Ade Teichen Inyan at Philovidas is Alpinigla. Is Hepech der Fun Vidas is Leiteris Hamagad Hanal. In Nigla state, as the mitzvah says, if you feel it's where a man still doesn't feel that person, so let me spell it on some members and as long as on them chesot. Or the fees of an ener halt esht by the darg of whom art nor other alkopon and beiker does was im felt in zaynet zrochav agashmim. When is not margish by sershas gufes kenyanish lakadish baruchum? Is the mitzvah's essay by im as on the spell of zayn of zayn chesot? We say the mitzvah. Does is the pirush amilus betfila? Was Pirush Amilus is an Iker Bitfila, und the Pirush is Kipshut, Ikem Afurish, and Mefarshiat Philus, while filling the Mefarshiat Philus let Kavanas Arizal Vachuli is Mudgeshalasara does an Kavanim, Remazim Saitis Vachuli. Mashenkin Leteris Amagadanal in Maimenazal ain't ending this spell. Elemitech Kavadresh Kumtais, and the Gantzer in your Philad of Zain Blushly Exanadavala Elechas Vashon. The Rebbe says we have here a fundamental problem. There's two parts to Torah, but they're really one. They're not two. There's Nigla and there's Nister. Nigla is the concretized aspect of Torah. Halacha. It's articulated in Mishnah and in Gemara and in the commentaries of the Gemara and of course in the Ga'inim and the Rishonim and the Acharonim and in the Svarim of Halacha, whether it's the Rif and the Rambam and the Tur and the Shulchan Aruch and their commentaries. That's Nigla the Torah, the way the Torah is very concrete. It's a blueprint for life and a Jew's daily life, explaining the 613 mitzvahs and all of their details and nuances. You have another aspect of Torah called Nister of Torah. Nister of Torah is what we would call the esoteric dimension of Torah, the underlying theology of Judaism, the spiritual science behind every mitzvah, the spiritual science behind the universe, behind the soul the inner workings of Yiddishkeit, the back end of the program. That's called Nister the Torah. The Zohar, in Parshas Baloischa, Chela Gimel Kofnon Beza, he says in footnote 49, calls these parts of Torah the soul and the body. There is the body of Torah, the guf of Torah, guf of Torah, and the shmosa there is the soul of Torah. Now imagine one says that there is dissonance between the soul and the body in a person. That's a terrible predicament. One of the worst things in life is to live with dissonance, to live with a dichotomy, to live a compartmentalized life. The beauty of a life, of a life well lived is the harmony, the harmony between the inner and the outer, between the life force and the body. The body and the soul are not two separate things that are forced together through some shabchen and now they have to live together, but they really make up the miracle of life as one unit. When I'm looking at myself or I'm feeling myself, what am I feeling? My body or my soul? And the answer is they work completely in unison. Yes, it's true. There comes a time that a person, a person's soul may leave the body. The person becomes unplugged and the electricity of the soul returns to its source and the body decomposes until Tis HaMesim. But life is the miracle of fusion between soul and body. There's no dissidence between them. There's no contradiction between them. Every element of the body is a concrete physical manifestation of the vitality of the soul that flows through it. The soul without the body has no concrete manifestation. 
It's spiritual, it's ethereal, it's nebulous. The body without the soul is lifeless. Yiddishkeit has these two elements, and they're really one, they're not two aspects. There's the neshama and there's the guf. So you can't say that the neshama and the guf are contradictory to each other. No, one focuses on the body, on the outer physical manifestation, and one focuses on the inner metaphysical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual meaning. What we're learning here, though, is that tefillah in nigla is the opposite of tefillah in nister. In nigla, meaning nigla, I mean halacha, the mitzvah of tefillah is that when you feel that something is missing, you should daven to Hashem. So now, if I am in a situation where what's bothering me is a very physical reality that is missing, something that's causing me physical, mental, emotional distress, something in my body that is off. And when I say my body, it's just my body. It could be the body of my loved ones, people that I'm close to, people in my community, people who are friends, people who, are, who I'm praying for. could be your spouse, could be your child, yourself, your parents, your siblings, your friends, any, any person, not just my own, my own body. But I'm in a place that this is bothering me. And that's what I'm bothered by. I'm not bothered by anything else. I'm not experiencing that my body is owned by God. It's really God's acquisition. And because it's God's acquisition, so therefore it's his pain and his agony. I'm not in that place. What's bothering me is now I am missing something. I don't have something. or My child doesn't have something. Or another loved one doesn't have something. And it could be the most physical thing in the world, most material thing in the world. What's the mitzvah? The mitzvah is that I should right now daven for that void, for that thing that's missing. I am not feeling that it's divine. I'm not feeling that it's God's need, that it's God's pain, that it's God's agony because my body belongs to Hashem. Okay, so you don't. But if I'm in this space where what's bothering me is only my own voids, my own pain, my own suffering, my own anguish, or a loved one's anguish, or at least that's the primary thing that's bothering me. Maybe if you tell me, by the way, your body belongs to God, okay, <laughs> it adds a little flavor. But that's not the issue. So what's the mitzvah? The mitzvah is that's what I should daven for. And the Rebbe says, furthermore, read the Pirish Hamilas of davening. Open up a Siddur. Open up a Shemayna And read the words and translate them. If you understand the Hebrew, if you need an English translation, you need a Yiddish translation. And the translation of the words is a primary element of tefillah, understanding what you're saying. One of the unfortunate things in davening is people don't understand the meaning of many words, but to really to understand what you're saying. And read the words. Read my lips. Read the words. And when you're reading the words of davening, when you're reading the words of davening, when you're reading the words of davening, focus on the Pirish Hamilas and the translation of the words and see what it says. And it's talking about a person's needs in a very literal way. We don't start and say, Rafa'enu Hashem v'nei Rafa, please give us healing. We don't say, let's remember that the body doesn't belong to me, it belongs to Hashem. And therefore, there is a divine property here that is missing something. It's part of a divine acquisition. And therefore, God take care of it. That's not what we say in the davening. We're speaking about, Rifa'enu, heal me. 
Then the Rebbe says, even if you read the commentary on tefillah based on the meditations of the Ariza and other great Kabbalists, who basically see in all of the words of davening references to spiritual metaphysical realities, those who are familiar with the Kavonas Harizal, the Kavonas Harashash, the Kavonas Haramchal. There's many Kavonas in davening that the Kabbalists davened with, and they're published in many of the Sidurim that insert Kabbalistic ideas, and they have gematrias over words, and what you should have Kavana in this blessing, and this sphere, and this name of Hashem. It's very intricate. The Rebbe says that's true. But read, and they'll all tell you that these are Kavanas, these are unique meditations, these are hints, these are secrets. Nobody's saying that this is the literal Pirush Hamilis of davening. So that's the davening of Nigla. Comes the Magid, who represents the world of Chesedis, the world of Nister, and he says, no, the whole davening has to be because Hashem is missing something, not because I'm missing something. He says, don't daven for yourself. Daven that this thing shouldn't be missing in Hashem. Because you're a limb of the Shekhinah. Because you're a limb of the Shekhinah when you're missing something, even if you're not, even if it's your need, it's Hashem's need. Because you're a limb of the Shekhinah, so there's something missing in the Shekhinah. That's what you should be davening for. So even if you're going to explain that the body is not mine, the body is Hashem. So when the body is missing something, the focus should be on Hashem's acquisition that is missing something. I get it, he says. But ultimately, ultimately, it seems like there's two opposite streams in tefillah. In the world of Nigla, tefillah is really about whatever I'm missing, that's that mitzvah. There's a commandment, a Torah command to daven for it. And in Chesid, this is a whole new world. It's like, no, amen, that's not how you get up to daven. You get up to daven focusing on God's needs, on the Shekhinah's needs. No other davening. It's not like the Maggot says, if you're having a good day and you're in a very spiritual space, then daven for God. No, that's how you get, that's how you stand up to daven. So we ask here, what's davening? Which is davening? Is it the Nigla davening or the Nister davening? So you'll say, well, it's two opposite experiences. Well, then something is wrong here. It's one Judaism. It's one Torah. The Torah has the Gulf and the Neshama. There's no dissonance. Nigla comes out of Nister. Nister comes out of Nigla. Nigla mirrors Nister. Nister is manifested in Nigla. Neshama is manifested in Guf. Guf mirrors Neshama. And here, they don't mirror each other. They're completely operating on different planes. One says, Davin, for your needs, for yourself. Yeah, if you're in a very spiritual state and you don't feel yourself, fine, daven for God's needs. But if I'm in a place where I don't even feel the fact that my body is an acquisition of Hashem, I'm not there, I'm not there. At least that's not my primary focus, not my primary visceral experience. I'm just davening for pain that I'm having, for something that's really bothering me. Something is not working out of my family. Something is not working out of my marriage. Something is not working out of my workplace. Something is not working out of my brain. Something is not working out in the world. Something is not working out with my loved ones. I'm davening for it. And that's the mitzvah. Not a bad thing. That is the mitzvah. You're fulfilling God's mitzvah. Comes the Magad and says, no. No, the whole tefillah is always about what? What Hashem needs. And as he brings in 52, the Maggid quotes us, Zohar, Not like those who are selfish, they do things for themselves and they scream, give, give, give me, give me, give me. 
No, the focus is Hashem shouldn't be lacking. The Shechina shouldn't be lacking. So we have to say, as a filo as a yid, 219, page of 219. Ah. Comes the Lubavitcher Rebbe and says, you have to say that even a Jew, who when he's davening, he's thinking about his own or her own chisarein, what I want, what I need. Really, if you go a step deeper, if you tune in into a deeper space, you'll see that this person's tefillah is also, is also for the chisarin, for the void in the core of all cores in Hashem. And the Magid is not trying to negate what davening is in Nigla. The Magid is doing what Nister, what Chesidus is supposed to always do. It's shining a light and revealing what is the inner dynamics of your present davening. The Magid is not saying, you're not thinking about Hashem's needs, you can't daven. Then we would have a problem of dissonance between Nigla and Nister. The Magad is doing what Nister does. It's tuning in. It's excavating the depths. It's bringing to the fore what may be hidden. Nister means hidden. That which is hidden, sometimes in the unconscious, sometimes in the subconscious or the superconscious of the person. So the Magad is saying, what I'm going to do is I want to tune into what is happening with your davening so you could be aware of a deeper layer within yourself. What do you mean? I'm just davening because I'm sick and I want to get healthy. <laughs> I'm feeling lethargic. I'm feeling heavy. I'm davening because I'm having a real struggle in my work. I'm davening because of a medical situation. I'm davening because of a child situation. I'm davening to Hashem, he's the boss. But what's bothering me is my need. So the Maggot says, let's go one step deeper. Ches is the beer bazaar. The explanation in this is as follows. Now this next piece, Ches, Til Seif Tes, these next two, these next two Seifim, Seif Ches, chapter 8 and chapter 9, page 219 and page 220, contain here the crux of the explanation. And this is a very, very powerful and very profound and incredibly, I find, transformative teaching, especially for today's day and age, is the beer bazaar. Now, there's going to be a lot here, a lot here. We'll read the paragraph and I'll explain to the best of my ability, at least briefly, Bezer Hashem. Achiluk ikri tzivishin de neshama on dem gufun ayidin is there's a major difference between the soul and the body. The neshama is achiluk eloikami mal mamish. The soul is defined in Svarim as a piece of Hashem, a fragment of God. In Tanya chapter 2, the Alter Rebbe adds the word mamish. Achiluk eloikami mal mamish. It's a part of Hashem above, mimal, 
chelik apart, elika Hashem mimal, who is above, mamish, literally. The guf is nidma b'chumra yusil The body, on the other hand, the physical body, when you look at it, it appears in its bruteness, in its physicality, it's identical to the body of any other human being, any other Gentile, any other person. In fact, if you look at DNA, it's comparable to the bodies of many other living organisms. I think we share 98 or 99% of our DNA with chimpanzees. Now, the body of a chimp doesn't look like the body of a person. But there's so many similarities between the goof of a person and the goof of an animal in terms of various biological systems. But certainly, if you're talking in the human race, when you look at the body, the body of a Jew is just identical to the body of any other person. When the fires of the Alter Rebbe, comes the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya in Tanya, chapter 49, Perik Memtez, and he says something very special. As the Inyan, is the Inyan, listen to this. The Alter Rebbe writes in Tanya, that when we say every single morning before Kriyashma, and some of you, some of us said it today in the morning already, Uvanu mikol am you have chosen us from every nation and from every language. Uvonu v'charta. Says the Alter Rebbe, this Pchir is talking about the guf, the body of the Jew. It's not talking about so much the neshama. When we say Hashem chose us, Ata v'chartanu. Ata v'chartanu You chose us from all the nations. Uvonu v'charta. What does this mean, you chose us? What part of me did you choose? The soul or the body? So you'll say, well, both, the soul and the body. Says the Alter Rebbe, yes, both. But there's something specific and unique about the body. The real choice was not in the neshama, it was in the, in the body. Why? When the time of them, the reason is, Pchira choice, you could talk about as applicable between two things that are similar to each other in that which you're searching for. You want two, you want a car, and you have two cars, and both cars are similar. Maybe one has advantages in this area, one has advantages in this area. So you have to choose. You're searching for a car, you're searching for a good car to transport you long distances swiftly and comfortably. So now you have to choose. By Zachin was habenit kein's dodem shavim, kein gemeinsam et chunes zwischen sich, pastor zagen kein pchire, es wendet sich was man will. When you have things that don't have similar characteristics, they're not on the same frequency, they're not on the same wavelength. They don't have any characteristics that connect them. Gemeinsame means similar. They don't have any similar characteristics. So you can't talk about choice. You're not choosing between them. It depends what you want. Somebody will say, you know, I went to a, a car, a, <laughs> a car garage because I wanted a car. I ended up buying a house. <laughs> I ended up choosing a house. <laughs> You're not choosing. If there's two cars, you have to choose between two cars. If there's two houses, yeah, 
They're on two different blocks. Each one has an advantage over the other one. They have a lot of similarities. They have so many things that they're identical in. This one has a virtue in this area. This one has a quality that the other one doesn't have. So now you have to choose. So you make choices. You go to the store and there's oranges. You have to choose which oranges you want. So you look which oranges are fresh, which oranges look better, which peaches look better, which lettuce looks better. Somebody says, I went to the store and I had to choose between oranges yeah, and hummus. What do you mean you have to choose? You don't have to choose. If you want oranges, you buy oranges. If you want hummus, you buy hummus. The definition of bhira means I could choose from both. Now the question is which one I chose. So I chose one over the other. But it means I had an opportunity to choose from the other one. That's why I have to make a choice. You have to make a choice between two schools, right? So you'll say, are you going to this school or are you going to this school? Do you want to go to this yeshiva? Do you want to go to this yeshiva? Do you want to go to this seminary? Do you want to go to this cemetery? So, se- seminary, sorry. So you have to weigh the pros. You have to weigh the cons. And you have to make a choice. Sometimes the choices are very complicated. Sometimes the choices are easier. But somebody's going to say, you got to choose. Do you want to go to school or do you want to become a minor? Okay, if you want to become a minor, fine. So now you have to choose between the yeshiva and the mining company. But if, if, if I'm not interested in that, so you're not going to say, I'm choosing to go to school or to go into real estate. Maybe one day I'll go into real estate. But right now that's not the choice. Choice means that there's two things competing against each other. They both have an advantage to you because you're searching for that. Now the question is, which one are you going to choose? But if you have two things that live in two different worlds, I'll ask you, do you want to live in Los Angeles? Do you want to live in Miami? Do you want to live in New York? Do you want to live in Yerushalayim? When I say, do you want to live on the moon? (laughs) It's not part of the choices. It's not available to you. Or practically, do you want to go live in Japan? I mean, yeah, if you're a Chabad Shliach, maybe you want to go live in Japan if there's a good position over there. You're looking for a place where there's a community. You're looking for a place where there's an infrastructure. You're looking for a place where there's schools for your children. You're looking for a place where you can uh, generate revenue. So now you have choices. Some people are going to Lakewood, and some people are going to Florida, (laughs) the new migration place. And some people are going to other places, and hopefully we'll all soon go to Eretz with Mashiach Tzedkeinu. But you're looking for a place. But it's a choice between two things that have similarities. When you have two things that are completely in different worlds, you're going to say, do you want to go live in New York? you want to go live in Miami? That's a legitimate question. You want to say, you want to go live in New York? you want to go live in Miami? Or do you want to, excuse me, <coughs> become the president? I don't know what you're talking about. We're talking about two things that compete against each other. So Pchira can only work with things that have similarities. And now you have to choose. Things that have no similarities, what do you want? If you want an orange, get an orange. If you come into the store and there's one orange and there's one piece of chicken. So you'll say, I have to choose, should I get an orange, should I get a piece of chicken? What's the choice? If you want chicken, get chicken. If you want orange, get an orange. If you have a hundred oranges, you got to choose. If you have one orange and one chicken, (laughs) if you're in the mood of chicken, get chicken. Says the Alter Rebbe, the father's pchira mitis shayek zogen norbenige dem guf. Was is nidme bechumri yusel the guf of your masoilam. Mashenke benige la nesham is nitshayekin pchira. So you can't say that Hashem chose the soul. Because there's nothing to choose. 
chooses, you have to choose from. Where are you choosing the soul from? The soul is a chelik elikami mal mamash. The soul of a chimpanzee is not that type of soul. It's not a chelik elikami mal. To choose, you have to choose from. There's nowhere to choose from. The soul is in a different league. It's a different place. There's nothing to choose. Again, choice means there's a few things and I'm choosing one from, from something else. So it has to be, you have, you have a pile of grapes. I choose one grape. Now, why did I choose it? Was it random? Was it because I found this grape advantageous? That's a good question. That's not what's our discussion right now. But choosing, any way you spin it is choosing from. So this means one grape is similar to the other grapes. I choose one grape from another grape, one house from another house, one place to live from another place to live, one job from another job. The soul, what is he choosing the soul from? The souls of other, of other people, not Jews, they have wonderful souls. Every person has a soul. Every animal has a soul. Even a rock has a soul. Darizal says even a rock has a soul. But you know, he's not choosing the Jewish soul from other souls. It's a different league. The Jewish soul is a chelek eleka mimal mamish. So what are you choosing it from? There's no, there's no reason to choose it. It's completely in a different space. If you want this, you're not going to get it anywhere else. There's nothing to choose. There's one orange in the store. <laughs> there's lots of different souls, but there's only one soul that's a chelek eleka mimal mamish. There's lots of different souls. Everything in the world has a spiritual consciousness. Everything in the world has a soul. Everything in the world has spiritual vitality, spiritual divine energy. The soul of a Jew we define as a chelik elikami mal mamash. Like it says in Tanya chapter 2, peace of Hashem. And mamash a peace of Hashem. Like a child that's a part of a father and a mother, is an extension of a father and a mother. The child comes from the sperm and the egg of the father and the mother, and the soul of the father and the mother is manifested in the child. So now imagine, there's a bunch of children at an event, and you're going home, right? <laughs> you're going home, and uh, your wife says, Reb Aaron, how many kids are there? 50 kids, they all came to Billy Bees. So she says, okay, choose one of the kids and bring them home. <laughs> Choose one of the kids and bring them home. Well, depends. If you want your child, there's no choice. <laughs> there's only one of your children here. <laughs> there's no choice. If you want your child, there's no pchira. <laughs> this is it. If I want to stop, take children home. Okay, that's a good question. You got 50 children, choose. You understand? If this is your child, there's one child here. You don't have to, you're not choosing your child from other ones. They're not your children. They're wonderful kids. We love them all. But they have other parents. And if you take them, those parents are not going to be very happy. <laughs> and if you let them take your child, your wife is not going to be so happy. So you say, Hashem chose a Jewish soul. What do you mean chose a Jewish soul? It's his child. What did he choose it from? If he wants this, he can only get it here. If you want your child, you can only get it in this boy or this girl. If he wants a chelik elikami mal mamish, if he wants his child, it's only in the Jewish soul. There's other beautiful souls that have their function and their purpose and their task and their vitality and their mission. 
Oh, says the Alter Rebbe, you know where Bechira was? Bechira was in the guf. Bechira was in the body. The guf. Ubanu v'charte, he says, in Tanya chapter 49, Memtes. Hu ha-gufa chumri ha-nidme b'chumri yusoy l'gufa y'umasa The body, the guf, you have to choose from. Why? Because its physical appearance is just like any other goof of any other person. Yes, it's similar to any other goof. Here God says, O vanu v'charta, you chose vanu. Mashekim and Egeel on Hashem is nechayach kimchira. By the Neshama there's no choice. The goof is physical. That's what God's choice was. Mitzad dem goof is frana maile in dem gufu nayidin. This means that the guf of a Jew has something that's even deeper than the neshama. This means there's something in the guf that is higher than the soul. Of course, we know that the soul has things that are unique and much deeper than the guf, but there's something in the guf that's deeper than the neshama. Why? It's the body that has a unique connection to Atmos. Atmos means the core essence of everything, the essence of Hashem. The Neshama is Alts Neshama, Shaykh Beikit Subchinis Eir Vigilu. Mashenkin in Guf Vichumri Yusuf Nayidin, was by Bachara Kadish Baruchu. Is er verbunden mit atzmusa yizbarach mamash. The neshama als neshama, and he says the neshama as neshama in parentheses, because you have the neshama the way it becomes one with the body, but the neshama as neshama primarily captures God's revelation and light. The body, the guf, and the chumrius of the guf, which is the bruteness, the physical is the materiality, the materialism, the brute, the chaymer. The guf and the chumrius, the physical brute reality of the Jew. That's what Hashem chose. That's what he chose. The soul is organically divine. <laughs> the body is that which Hashem chose. He chose it. So he says this, is connected with the deepest, deepest core. Atzmusi is baruch mamash. Why? V'rubchira amitis is not in atzmus amuhus she'ein loy ilu v'sibber she'kadam aloy chas v'shalom. Mashenkin oyser atzmus afilin the hechste madregis von oyer is mitzad oyer da'an netia u'bemele me'ein hechrich v'yis mantin netia u'bemele is nechayich dart amitis abchira chavshis bchira amitis. What does real choice mean? Can anybody ever make a real choice? One may argue, and many people argue this all the time, there's no such a thing as choice. Because everyone is preconditioned to make the choices that are most compelling to their state, to their preconditioned reality. In other words, you like a certain color, you choose one couch from another couch, because you like this color, and I like this color. You choose vanilla ice cream. Rabana, when you go to an ice cream store, is it chocolate or vanilla? Why do you choose va- I- 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 chocolate and somebody else's chooses vanilla? It's a choice. It's not a choice. 
It's based on your taste buds. Two people date the same young woman or the same young man. One person gets married, the other person doesn't get married. Yes, this personality speaks to me. Do we make any choices in life? You chose this house over this house because this house is compelling to you. The neighborhood, the design, the space, the outdoor property. You chose this neighborhood over this neighborhood. Why? I don't know. You like the parks, you like the serenity, you like the quiet, you like the noise, you like the stores, you like the families. Are these choices? Why does somebody else choose the opposite? Because they're preconditioned in a different way. Now go deeper and deeper and deeper. Every one of us has a genetic makeup, a physiological makeup. We have our own chemistry. We have our brains, our neurons, our 20, our 50 trillion cells. This makes up my identity, my genes. There's a certain way I think. There's a certain way I process emotions. And then there's nurture, the home I grow up in. So all the choices I make, ultimately you can argue even though it looks like I'm making choices, but they're really just playing out, playing out a nature that is pre-existing and ultimately compels me to choose certain things and to follow certain directions. Why did you choose this type of career and I chose this type of career? Was it really a choice? You say, yeah, we were both graduating high school or we were both in college together. Or we were both in uh, whatever we would yeshiva together. And then you chose you want to go in to law. And this one shows he wants to go into medicine. And this one decided he wants to become an accountant. And this one decided he wants to become a rabbi. <laughs> right? So, so why? Why? You'll say, well, his mother pushed him. <laughs> his mother said, you got to become this. Okay. So why did he listen to his mother and he didn't listen to his mother? Ultimately, go for it and you'll say, I may have had a proclivity towards this. This is maybe something that I have a, a liking for. This is something that I have a skill for. This is something that I always liked as a child. Or maybe this is the family business. This was the family opportunity. Maybe this was the most practical. This is what made sense. And why that which is practical speaks to me more than to you? Because I have maybe a different type of practical brain than you. So ultimately, any choice that any person makes, you can argue goes back to certain... One second, one second. One second. What vegetables? What vegetables? I'm sorry, I pushed the wrong button. No problem. We're making vegetables. Very good. Vegetables is a good example. It was the wrong choice. Why do I like potato chips? Yeah. And my and 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 my wife likes uh, spinach. Why? <laughs> Some bodies are more refined, right? Some bodies are more brute. And then sometimes you have to work on your body, and you develop a taste for finer things. And then you're not interested in junk. <laughs> So the question is, we all have choices. Should I wake up in the morning? Should I wait, wait, not wake up in the morning? Some of us wake up. Some of us don't wake up. Why did you wake up and I didn't wake up? We'll say, you're a more disciplined person. You know how to make a choice and to stick to it. And why are you a more disciplined person? Can't we find a reason in the brain why you're a more disciplined person? Or maybe a reason in the way you were brought up or in your pedagogy or your education or your schooling or your environment? Ultimately, says the Rebbe Gavaldik Kavart, 
real bchira, true bchira, true choice, can only come from atzmos, from Hashem's essence, because He has no antecedent. He has no antecedent that brought him into existence. And because he has no antecedent, he's not defined in any way. He doesn't exist in any form, in any fashion. The moment you could define me as an existence that has an identity, there's things that I'm attracted to and there's things that I'm repulsed by. There's things that work for me and there's things that don't work for me. But that's only if I have a definition. Real choice only comes from the core of everything, the essence itself, which has no cause, no antecedent, no precedent. There's nothing that precedes it. Everything else in the universe comes after nothingness. It comes after ayin, no thingness, meaning it comes from Hashem. But Hashem himself, the core of everything has no antecedent. So there's no definition. Because there's no definition, there's absolute freedom to choose. But everything else outside of that core, even the highest levels of divine light, he said the moment you're calling it light, oh, divine expression, divine light, it has an atiyah, it gravitates towards something. If it gravitates to something, that is compelling it to choose what it chooses. So to say over there, you can't talk about amitis abchiri chavshas. The true, true, true free choice. Real authentic choice. Everything is relative, of course. A person who's in prison has less choices than a person who's out of prison. And a person who has more opportunity has more choices than a person with less opportunity. But ultimately, real, real choice, real choice, where there's no inhibition whatsoever. I'm not compelled in a certain direction. I'm not being pulled in a certain direction. How can that even exist? The moment you speak about I, you already take away choice. Because if there is an I that has an identity, there's certain things I want in order to promote that identity. There's certain things I stay away from which endangers that identity. So is that really a choice? So where can there be choice? Choice can only be in atzmos muhus, in the essence of everything, the essence that precedes everything, that doesn't have anything that precedes it, and therefore there's nothing that puts it into a certain box or a certain definition or a certain description. Over there there can be real choice because it's not compelled to go this way or to go that way because it doesn't have any any identity that defines it, and therefore... It's completely defined by choice. In other words, whatever it is, is something that we call choice. It doesn't have to be it. Because there's no it to define it in a certain way. So whatever it it is, it doesn't have to be it. I am I. I, I could, I, I'm not a bird and I'm not a horse. I'm not a mammal. I hope I'm not. I'm not a reptile. Right? <laughs> Sometimes people dream they would want to be birds. I'm not. I'm not. Do I have a choice to fly or not to fly? No, I want to, I want to kill myself or hurt myself. But really everything else, do I have a choice? I'm living out the script of the parts of me, of, of, of the me that's preconditioned. It's based on my nature, based on my nurture. It's very hard to understand where does Bhira come from? 
So the Rebbe says, Pchira comes from one space. Atzmos. The first day is from Shimon. Atzmos. Why? Atzmos has no eye. There's no precondition. There's no description. There's no definition. It has no color. has no shape. I don't mean a physical shape. It has no spiritual shape. It has no metaphysical shape. It has no transcendental shape. It has no shape. It has no posture. So whatever it is, it chooses meaning. What do I mean? What do I mean? It chooses. It's completely free. There's nothing else compelling it to go this way or to go that way. There's no trajectory that is preconditioned because there's no identity in any form or fashion. There's no definition. In Atmos, there's no definition or description. Every other level of spirituality and everything else in the world, even the highest levels of godly energy, it's energy. The moment you say the word energy, as he says in the, in the in footnote 60, you're calling it ur. Ur means light. If it's light, afilu ur pashat. Even if it's undefined light, it's light in its most transcendent and abstract fashion. It's called light, not essence. Shefa, it's called light, not shefa. It's called light, not choyshech v'chuli. It's already a name, light. Light? Can light choose? Light can choose to go in the direction that light wants to go and needs to go in order to be light. My choices are always limited by me, by I, because my I precedes my choice. By God, choice precedes I. By every person, the I precedes the choice. And therefore, the choice is always defined by the I. By God, choice precedes I. Because there's no definition of I. So when Hashem says, this is who I am, right? This is called pchirechavshis. This is called absolute free choice. When a person could connect to that space, we can also have choice. We can also have free choice. By every person, the I precedes the choice. I choose, right? I choose. Because the I precedes the choice, the choice is already crippled. In a good way. I don't mean crippled in a bad way. It's limited. It's confined by the I. There's certain things I'm allergic to. So you'll say, I chose not to eat dairy. I didn't choose not to eat dairy. I have no choice if I don't want to end up in the hospital. So you say, yeah, well, you had a choice to eat it and end up in the hospital. Okay, so why didn't I want to end up in the hospital? And the answer is, because I don't like hospitals. They're very painful places. Okay, well, you had a choice to be in pain and to go into hospitals. But that choice would really be <laughs> compromising my nature, compromising my desire. I don't want to be in a hospital. So is that a real choice? It's based on who I am. It's based on my nature. Some people maybe have different natures. They don't mind being in hospitals. Every choice I make is ultimately an outgrowth of who I am. And if it's an outgrowth of who I am, it's never completely free because it's already put into a certain box. It already is on a certain course. It already has a certain direction. It's very hard to understand what it means that a human being has real free choice. Real free choice. We all speak about choices. Yes, you had a choice to come to the shear this morning or not to come to the shear this morning. So now I want to ask you, why did you come and somebody else didn't come? 
you'll say, well, they were busy. But you're also busy. So why did their busyness distract them? You can always go back and back and back until you'll find some, some button which is connected either to a very deep quality that you have, a very deep need that you have, a very deep longing that you have. There's somebody who comes to this Shia, right? They have a very spiritual, spiritual longing. They need spirituality. They need chsidus like other people need oxygen. This is something that's very deep in them. Did they choose it? Did they choose it? They chose to cultivate it. They could have chosen not to cultivate it. So why did some people choose to cultivate it and some people not choose to cultivate it? Well, you say some people maybe are just more of their victims of their environment. Why am I a victim and you're not a victim? You'll always go back further and you'll be able to find a gene, a neuron, a moment in time, a, an aspect of nature, a moment of nurture. You say, ah, that's where it's coming from. That's what psychoanalysis does, right? But atmos choice precedes the eye. The eye doesn't precede the choice. So whatever the eye of atmos is, whatever Hashem wants to be, it's completely because I chose it, because I want it. Which means it's completely coming from Himself. It's completely one with Him, with His own core, because that core has no shape. It has no environment to define it. It has no color to put it into a particular box or to confine it. So when you speak about Hashem's essence or Hashem's choices, what do we mean? It's really a euphemism of saying, this is who I am in my deepest, deepest, deepest space. Somebody told me the other day, I chose this because my mind dictated that this is the right thing. (laughs) When you say that your mind dictates that this is the right thing, and you're, 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 uh, you're a mindful person, you're a person who thinks things through, that's a pretty heavy way of forcing yourself. That's, that's being compelled. (laughs) If this makes sense more than the other thing, and you're a logical person, then that's not choice then you were really forced. If, if, if you have proven to yourself that this is the right thing to do logically, because you're a logical person, that's, that's pretty heavy. That's, you were forced. Another person has a different type of brain, different type of emotions, different type of primal instincts, primal drives, different types of traumas. So they choose other things, but they don't even choose. But atmos. He says, The words are very, very particular here. There's nothing to precede it. Nothing. No definition. If there's no definition, it doesn't gravitate in a particular way. Or it doesn't gravitate to particular things. So there's nothing compelling it based on that gravitational pull. Because there's no identity. Once there's identity... I'm already defined in certain ways. I want something that will promote identity and I stay away from things that will endanger identity. Now that's manifested in millions and billions and trillions of ways throughout my life. But ultimately, my choices are 
playing out what my eye needs to be I. So you're saying, well, my, my eye can choose not to be I. It can't. My eye is an eye. It's not not I. I'm not a horse. I'm a person. I'm not a rhinoceros. I'm not a hippopotamus. A lioness makes choices in life, and I make choices in life. We're not the same. I'm not a squirrel. You'll say, well, you can choose to be. No, I can't. I can make believe I am. (laughs) I can make believe I'm an animal, but I'm not an animal. I can make believe I'm an angel, but I'm not an angel. I am I. And I am not you, and you are not me. And therefore, my I is going to choose based on my I. And even if my I says, you know what, I'm going to be not I, that's also a choice based on my I. Because my I has sometimes this uninhibited bohemian nature to be not I. You know, to take risks, to to to, to reinvent myself. That's also coming from my I. <laughs> some people are much more adventurous, and some people are more boring, yeah? <laughs> some people like the Ferris wheel, and some people like King Deca. <laughs> You know what King Deca is? My kids introduced me to King Deca. When you go to Six Flags, Great Adventures, it's a roller coaster, you know. You go up and then, ooh, do you go down? But it's such a drop. It's a drop that really turns over your kish because they love it. I like the Ferris wheel. <laughs> it stops. You take pictures, you know. You eat a sandwich, when it stops, every Jew starts writing his savoy, starts writing his will because he thinks it's going to stay there forever. And it broke. You know, he starts saying confessions and vidu. The goyim are taking pictures and the Jew is writing love messages to his wife. Saying Shema Yisrael, saying al You know the top of a Ferris wheel, yeah, when it stops? Mm-hmm. Jews think it stopped just because of them. It's anti-Semitism. Some people by nature are just much more adventurous. So real Tchira Chavshis, you're not going to come across. <laughs> you're going to come across relative choice, not absolute free choice. There's one exception, and that's the source of everything. When we go into the source, the Atzmos, Mamesh Atzmos, which has absolutely nothing preceding it, nothing before it, nothing to define it, nothing to describe it, Nothing to paint it in any form or fashion. Not physical descriptions, not metaphysical descriptions, not spiritual descriptions, no transcendental descriptions, no descriptions whatsoever. Not even the descriptions of silence and not even the description of the fact that it has no description. I'm, I'm giving a sheer in words, so I have to say this in words, but my words are failing my message. Because it doesn't even have the description that it has no description. Here there can be pchira. Here there can be choice. Here there can be real, real choice. But who would that choice be uh, <coughs> credited to? to or to a person? That's absolutely. Yeah, even Hashem. The word Hashem means a name. A name. A name is already a reflection. It's a reputation. It's the way you're known. That's called Ur. That's the light of Hashem. That's why he uses the word Atzmus Muhus. Atzmus Muhus. Atzmus means the core. Muhus is the essence, the quintessence. Again, these are words, but we don't, we, we have to use some words. But the words the Rebbe uses here is the core of cores, the essence of all essence. Oh, oh, okay. 
You want to know how this relates to us? That's going to be that's that's going to be the whole the whole sicha here. That's the message here. It very much relates to us. But when you're talking about the the atzmos the essence, because there's no antecedent that precedes it. So over there, there's real pchir. So what do we mean? You're saying if the choice is without a cause and without a reason, so what type of choice is it? <laughs> Big deal. I choose because I have a cause. I have a reason. I chose this job because I think it's going to make me more money. I chose this house because I think long term I'm going to be more comfortable there. You chose this spouse because you feel long term there's a better chance of a good marriage there. Not to compare choices of a house and a spouse, of course. Okay. But he's saying if the choice comes without a cause and without a reason, so what is it? So what type of, what's the point? So it's just random. You have no reason. So, So what we're really saying is, again, it's really a euphemism. When we say Atmos chooses, what does it mean it chooses? It doesn't choose because of a reason. It doesn't choose because of a cause. It doesn't choose because this is what I look like, so this is what I'm compelled to do, because I don't look like anything. <laughs> I choose what I look like, right? I choose what I look like. So therefore it means, really, when you say Atmos chose, it's talking about the idea that Hashem chooses what to be and also what not to be, what to want and what not to want, and that, so to speak, is the deepest core of His reality. It's completely one with Him. Because it's not compelled. It's not forced it's not, I have to go there because I have no choice. <laughs> I, I have no choice. This is who I am. But what it, it, what it really means, it's a way of saying, this is what Hashem is. This is what, this is what Hashem really is. That's what Pchira by Hashem means. It's not because he had a reason. Let me just finish. It's not because he had a reason. It's not because he had a cause. And therefore, this is what he gravitates to. Because as we're saying here, you're talking about something that transcends any cause. And therefore doesn't have any, doesn't have to look in any particular shape or any particular fashion. So then, so what is the Pchira there? So what is the Pchira there? So what, what, what is Pchira over there? It's random. Yeah, so it's not random. Doesn't, doesn't mean it's random. So, 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 doesn't mean it's random. Okay, so it's random. I, I could choose this. I could choose that. So it means that when Hashem chooses something, this, so to speak, defines him in the deepest way. But it doesn't define him because he's forced to be defined by it. He's compelled to de- be defined by it. He's equally undefined by it and defined by it at the same time because his choice of it is not coming from a place of compulsion 
of being compelled. It's coming from a place of absolute freedom because it's coming from a place that has no definition and no compulsion in any direction. It's a non-existential type of existence. It's an undefined reality. So if it's an undefined reality, when it chooses a reality, when it connects to a reality, it what we're really saying is, this is who I am in my deepest, deepest way. In my deepest, in my deepest reality. Separate from Hashem, then it's a, it's a great question. So do we have free choice? Do we have any free choice? And the answer is, the answer is yes. <laughs> yes. But what that means is, when I could find my alignment with Atmos, when I can align myself with Atmos, which means, as we will see, when I can view the world from the lens of Atmos, which is the lens of the core and the essence that precedes all and is not defined by anything, so then that gift of choice can resonate and be manifested in the eye as well. Now you're asking, what does it even mean that God chooses something when enoid mulvadoi? There's no duality, there's no two oranges. <laughs> you could choose when there's separate things, but if everything is one and everything is him, <laughs> right? Very good. So what are you choosing? What is he choosing? You're choosing... What is he choosing? Himself? Uh, uh, so the tzimtzum, the tzimtzum makes that what? That we should perceive otherness, that we should perceive a world that's outside of him. But if he doesn't perceive, but if he sees the world for what it is, as one is, what do we, what do we mean by the idea of choice? That's a very deep question you're asking. Very, very deep question. It's a deep question. So on the most basic level, really on a very basic level at the moment, the idea here is, let's talk for a moment about the Bechira that we're talking here. The Bechira in the Guf. So this Bechira, he says, the Alter Rebbe says, is in the Guf. The Neshama, there's nothing to choose from. It's a Chelek Elikamimal. If you want a Chelek Elikamimal, you have a Neshama. You don't want a Chelek Elikamimal, you don't have a Neshama. You're not choosing between two things. The Guf, on the other hand... Is nidme le It's similar like to any other guf, like any other body. So you say Hashem chose the guf. So he says this means that the body has something that the neshama doesn't have, because the body has a connection to atzmos, because that's the place of pchira. The soul is like organically connected to God, almost by nature. It's a piece of Hashem. It's like a child. It's like the reflection of Hashem. It's the light of Hashem. It's a chelik elikamimal. It's like a child, it's a continuum of Tati and Mami. That's the soul. The soul as a soul. The goof of the Jew, over here we have the gift of Pchir. It's Hashem's choice. And what do we mean by choice? Choice reflects Atmos. Choice reflects Atmos Mamish. That the body is connected with the deepest essence because that's where choice comes from. When you say Hashem chose, you're talking about Hashem's choice from His deepest, deepest core which can't be defined as a core. It has no color, it has no description, it has no definition. So when you say he chose, it's not that he chose for a particular reason, and if that reason is gone, he'll stop choosing. 
Or he chose because he was forced to choose, and if he's not forced, he won't choose. Or he chose because this is his nature today, and if that nature changes, he chooses. And he chose because this is basically his identity, and if he would have a different identity, he would choose. So the choice is limited to the nature of the identity. But here, the choice comes from a place that's beyond identity, so therefore it's as infinite as he himself. And because it's as infinite as he himself, so therefore it's a reflection of his own deepest self, because it's as infinite as he himself, because the choice is not limited to a particular identity which is defined, and therefore I'm compelled to choose a particular thing. The choice is a reflection of the fact that my infinite self, Hashem's infinite core, which has no definition, which has no description, is connected to the guf. It shows the guf. And when we say it shows means that they become completely one. Why do they become completely one? Because a choice that is free is the deepest form of connection. Every other form of connection is limited. Because if I'm being forced to do something, so then I'm forced. And if you wouldn't force me, I wouldn't do it. Even if I'm not being forced, I want to do it because this is who I am. The desire is as deep as the identity. And the identity is limited, so the desire is also limited. But when the desire is coming from a place of unlimitedness, so then the connection is also unlimited. And because the connection is unlimited, so therefore it comes from the essence itself. That's what he's saying here. So this is something that the goof has that the neshama doesn't have. This is something that the body has that even the soul itself doesn't have. Because the soul is a reflection of the divine. And the body is the atmos itself. Because it's Bechira. And this, as we will see, begins to explain to us that when a person is connecting to their goof, connecting to their body, when a person is feeling the needs of their body, when a person is nurturing their body, their goof, or somebody else's goof, really what is happening is you're focusing in on God's essence. That's what it is. Because the body keeps the divine score. The body, the goof, even deeper than the neshama, it captures the etzem of everything because that's where the Bechira was. And because of that, when the Jew is davening, even for the most physical bodily elements, what is really, really happening is he or she has to know who they really are, what their goof is. Your goof is not a piece of meat and potato with some bones and blood and sinews and tissue. The goof essentially is the manifestation of the Pchira of Atmos. It's the manifestation of Hashem's essence in this world. If that's the case, so when you're davening for the guf, you're davening not just for Hashem, but for the Atmos of Hashem. That's what the Mezir Chamagad is telling us. We will continue this by Ezer Hashem, Monday morning, 7.30, in our Monday morning class. In the meantime, I wish you a beautiful day. A wonderful Shabbos, a good Chaydish. May this Chaydish be the month of Menachem of the child is comforted, the father is comforted, with the Geula Shlema, Amenu, Amen. And have a beautiful day. Thank you for joining us.
I see in the chat some questions here. Question number one. It is not that I am the one who either finds common denominator and makes a choice or not. The similarities can be there. They both cost money. They both consume time. I am the one who sees the similarities or doesn't see the similarities. Yes, you're right. What the Atmos does this connect to the previous mimer of Shlach, Tavshin Tesvav, about the Miraglim, that the Atmos is analogous to the Midas, which is the primal, the primal instincts, the primal drives of a person, but it's in yourself, and the direction of it is set by Seichel. It's an interesting question. It's an interesting question. There's two levels of middas. There's the middas the way they already have form, and then there's the middas the way they're aligned with atzmos, and over there there's bechira. So in the middas itself, there's two different levels. So am I understanding question? Am I understanding correctly that if I am really, if my goof is a manifestation of atzmos? So then I'm really aligned with Hashem, His needs and His desires. So whether I'm davening from my own needs or His needs, it's all the same. Very good, we'll get to that, we'll get to that. You say that the guf is higher than the neshama. That's a very heavy concept. Is this an application of the principle that when the wall falls, whatever is higher falls lower, and when the vessels were broken the higher sparks fell further away, and maybe that's why the resurrection of the dead is going to be in the physical body, and this is maybe why we bury all the parts of a dismembered body, and why cremation is forbidden, because of the holiness of the body. Yeah. You said that Hashem has no antecedent, so therefore there's, no con- there's, therefore there's a concept of free choice. Does this also mean that he chose to create creation? Does this mean that he chose to create the human being to whom he gave the gift of free choice? Does this mean that it was the free choice that he had with which he chose Avram Avinu and his descendants to become his people? He chose the nation in Egypt to become his people, Atavichartanu. Does that mean that this is all free choice? Yeah, it's exactly what it means. It's exactly what it means, yeah. Are you saying that free choice is a paradox and something very, very hard to even wrap our brains around and certainly to achieve? My choice has to be his choice. This takes so much dedication, learning, constant awareness all the time in every occasion, circumstance, situation. Are you saying that the only way you could make a free choice in life is if your choice becomes God's choice and you choose God's choice? And when you choose God's choice that's when you're really choosing freely because everything else that you're choosing is ultimately coming from a limited and defined sense of self which basically puts you into a certain position whether you like it or not and therefore you're compelled to choose certain things and you're never really free. Only when my choice is his choice I choose what Hashem's Atmos chooses, that's really when I'm free. 
Is that what it means that a person who's free is only a person who learns Torah? And is this the poem of Rabbi Yehuda Halevi who said that all people are slaves? They're slaves to time. They're slaves to space. They're slaves to their own lives. The only ones who are free are people who are Avdei Hashem. They're servants of Hashem. And then they transcend time, matter, space. And they're not slaves anymore. They become free people. Deep stuff. Deep stuff. Very well. This is very, very well set. That's what real choice is. Real choice means when my choice becomes his choice. When my choice is Hashem's choice, then it's a choice that's coming from me. Because what is Hashem? We look at Hashem, you know, sometimes this big being in heaven who's powerful and strong and he makes choices and I have to live by them. What we're learning here is that Atmos is not something big in heaven. Atmos is that truth of reality that transcends reality. And because it transcends reality, reality doesn't define it. If reality doesn't define it, so there's freedom there. If there's freedom there, so it defines reality. Reality doesn't define it. And when it chooses, that, cho- that choice is absolutely unlimited. It's infinite. Because it's coming from the infinite core of Atmos. So how do I choose freely? Real choice means when I could free myself when I could free myself from those choices that confine me and I can open myself up to his choices. Because those are the choices that never confine me. Those are the choices that come from the deepest place of reality. Are we to say then that a person doesn't choose an Avera? And, and uh, the yes. responsibility yeah. of an Avera is to Hashem? Yeah, in other words... When I'm choosing an Avera, I'm not really choosing. I'm just being, I'm indoctrinated. I'm, uh, the Gemara says in sight, Rish Lakish says, a person doesn't sin unless a spirit of folly went into him. You can't really choose an Avera. It's not a choice. It's a compulsion. It's a compulsion. It's an addiction. It's coming from a void. It's coming from my pain. It's coming from my trauma. It's coming from from my limitations. And yet I the choice, the choice, real choice, is a choice that comes from my unlimitedness, from a place where there's no fear, where there's no insecurity, where there's no incompetence, where there's no um, fear of uh, of uh, self destruction, from the place that's invincible and from the place that's not even defined by anything, from the place that's really free. So an Avera is coming from a very, very narrow, narrow space. Very narrow space. Like trauma comes from there. The choices that I make from trauma, they're coming from a very narrow space. I'm not, I'm not a free person. I'm not a free agent. I'm a complete slave to my own narrowness, to my own, my own addiction, to my own pain, to my own frustration, to my own anger. To my own trauma, to my own uh, wounds, I become a victim to my wounds. It, and yet I, I pay the so price for, for that. I, I pay. I pay the price. Yeah, 
as opposed to if somebody came to me and did yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, me. yeah, yeah. Of course, I did it. But how much... Re- yeah. So, so I'm responsible for my Avera. But to say that I did it with real choice, no, if I would have had real choice, I would have never gone there. I was To, to have real choice, you have to be aware of your alignment with Hashem's Atzmos. When you're aware how aligned you are with Hashem's Atzmos, then you have choice. So to have choice, you have to become aware that you're infinite. <laughs> that you are a manifestation of God in this world. You have to be aware that you are a reflection of God in His deepest essence. In other words, to have choice, to believe that you have choice, to believe that, that to believe you have choice, you have to believe in your infinity. You have to feel it in a visceral way. And then, ooh, Hashem has real choice. So I can have real choice. So the real choice is then the choice. What's the only real choice? My choice has to be his choice. <laughs> that's, that's where my choice is going to be. My choice is going to be in those choices that reflect the core infinity of God's choices, but which are, which are truly free. Choice? How do you know that's God's choice? Okay. Very good. So we have Tyre, but we'll soon see more. Okay, Chavre. Is it, last, last thing I real quick, is it that, can we understand how it's just then if a person, let's say a Rashad, doesn't choose his Averis and yet he's still punished in a, a different way than if somebody external to him came and did negative things to him? How is it uh, in justice, right? If, if it's, he pays for, for what he didn't choose? No, if you really didn't choose something, if you're an anus, if you're forced, then of course you're not liable. There's le- 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 levels of non-choosing. I'm talking. We're talking here the real, real free choice. Uh, so in a different way, the Rasha still chooses. Yeah, there's different levels of choice, you know. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.